1: Episode 390 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening. It is March 12th, Selection Sunday in America, and I am joined, as always, by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. How are you?
2: What is going on, Brad? Happy Selection Sunday, as far as I'm concerned. One of the best sports days of the year. And really, just March in general is a great time as a sports fan. We are now 18 days away from opening day as we record this. Feels like it's getting here really quickly. I don't know about you, but with the World Baseball Classic also happening, and of course this year's opening day is about 10 days earlier than last year's because of the lockout, it just feels like we're getting baseball here pretty quickly, and certainly um, it's exciting times to be sure.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely is, and uh, I was surprised as well, re- learning how quickly the opening day will actually be arriving. Uh, we've been talking a lot on this podcast about the season, of course, and it's that time of year we're ramping up, and we certainly know that we probably have some new or maybe returning listeners after the long winter break. We welcome you back and encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, where we also have other shows as well in this same feed, Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman, as well as the podcast to be named later with Chris Willis and Stephen Tolbert. We're going to be here regularly, and we also did a bullpen preview last week and uh, the bullpen had a little bit of a hiccup on saturday but also today's main topic will be the starting rotation for the braves this year a little bit broader uh talk, talk about guys who are obviously locked into spots barring injury and then we'll get into the fifth starter battle at the end of the show not a ton of news honestly um kind of weirdly i guess we're kind of in the middle of spring training there's wbc happening um but there really was not any big news for the braves this week other than the on-field stuff as, as i mentioned before the bullpen had a really rough one on saturday um, and it was real guys too, you know, Glacius, Minter, Lukey, and and Jimenez combined to allow nine runs in three and a third innings. I don't particularly care, but were you alarmed by that performance on, on Saturday? Because in typical fashion, Scott, I'm sure you saw social media, people were kind of panicking, and it's like, guys, it's it's March 11th. I can't, I can't really worry yeah. about this.
2: Yeah, Mark Bowman, long time beat writer for the team, noted that <clears throat> in the middle of March, a lot of pitchers start to feel the wall a little bit, yeah, you know, at this point they've probably been working out pretty regularly and pitching pretty regularly for about a month. And as we know, spring training is long for a reason guys need time and, and they need to get some kinks out. But no, if, if uh, the bullpen blows up against the Detroit Tigers on a Saturday afternoon, second Saturday in March, there's no reason to worry. Um, let those guys get their work in. I mean, we're going to talk about Charlie Morton and Bowman kind of, joked and said well maybe the reason he was walking guys is because he wanted to get some extra work in out of the stretch i mean uh, I, i don't think there's intention with that but it really is man just keep everybody healthy you mentioned it was a pretty quiet news week i love that i mean maybe it doesn't give us the most content ever for a podcast but no news is good news this time of year just keep everybody healthy and keep your eyes on opening day
1: Definitely agree. And one of the reasons why we kind of hold these specific preview episodes for March is that, you know, you hope there isn't a lot of news. And also just that we're kind of in the dead zone of spring training now where their games are happening. Yes. But, you know, all of the reporting has already happened in terms of guys coming to camp and all the initial quotes and that kind of wave. And then we're also not quite close enough to opening day to get like the full on experience of previewing so we're in that middle stretch and that's kind of uh some background producing of this podcast as to why we're doing the uh, positional kind of previews at this point in the calendar um before we get to that though uh the one i guess kind of news item is that jordan luplo debuted today on sunday as the dh he had been out of action for injury reasons um you know he's kind of been off the radar in the middle of the brace having a bunch of options for that you know fourth fifth outfielder job but uh as you noted on our document here he actually has the biggest investment in terms of financial stuff for all of the guys that has uh, sort of been invited in that, you know, Eli white group. Uh, there's all kinds of Sam Hilliards in that mix too. Um, obviously it's one game. So I have no, I have no analysis on how he looked today, but uh, just as a reminder, like Luplo's here and definitely going to be a factor. I think it'd be kind of surprising if he, if he were just cut. to be honest with you. So um, what do you make of him kind of finally arriving to the mix?
2: Yeah, he signed for one year and 1.4 million. So it's not like the money is going to automatically put him on the roster. But Luplo is a guy who he's bounced around a bit, but he's he's probably fine as your fourth or fifth outfielder. Now, if I had to bet today, I would say it's probably Luplo and uh, Kevin Pillar would probably be my my two front runners for those fourth and maybe fifth outfield spots. But uh, he's a guy who's been around. He's a career 102 WRC plus, which is pretty good. For those not familiar, 100 is average. So he's been a perfectly fine hitter. Um, although a lot of that came in 2019 when he was quite good, I believe with the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, but nonetheless, he is owed real money, and and I think the the battle in left field, even if it does seem like the team is fairly confident that Eddie Rosario is going to bounce back. We're going to need somebody as we, I, I think the ideal situation is Eddie would sit against left-handed pitching and that opens up the door. Luplow is right-handed. Kevin Pilar is right-handed. Um, I, I believe Eli White is right-handed as well. These guys are all battling and, and it'll be very interesting to see, assuming that Luplow is healthy and recovered from the oblique issue. Be nice to see him get some reps in the outfield as well, but he's a guy who has been successful in the past and wouldn't be a shock to see him make the roster.
1: Yeah, he's just another guy in the mix, and uh, the investment is notable, but like you said, does not necessarily guarantee anything, and just uh, there's just this bucket of names, and then it sort of expands, especially if you feel like there is a potential, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more next week, that the Braves could move on from um, Marcelo Zuna, who we're not going to discuss on this podcast, but obviously he is a topic always. You have Eddie Rosario having a terrible season last year, so there is a there's a, a great deal of uncertainty. I think a lot of the focus has been on shortstop, and with good reason. But you know, Vaughn Grissom, at least in terms of uh, intrigue and upside, is a lot a lot sexier and a lot more interesting in a good way than the left field job <laughs> at this moment. Left field DH is a bit of a mess, and that we kind of know that. And we'll do we'll do we'll do more on it in a week from now, talking about the um, actual you know position players in the lineup. But uh, it's always a question, and I know we get a lot of questions about it, and we'll answer most of them if we ca- if we possibly can. On our next podcast, um, it's time now to dive into the rotation. And look, I think we kind of know this, but just as a sort of reset from last year, the Braves were quite good with their starters. They weren't like number one in the league, but they were number seven in Major League Baseball, according to Fangraphs and Fangraphs War for starting pitching. And that included about 110 innings of bad Ian Anderson and also another 46 innings of bad Jacob DeRizi. So Uh, They weren't perfect at the end, but the top three guys were outstanding. Morton had kind of a down season, which we'll come back to later on. But this is a group that was projected to be somewhere in that same range this year. Fangrafts has the Braves number six in Major League Baseball in projection in terms of starting pitching for this year, fourth in the National League. And uh, I don't know about you. That seems about right to me. It's not going to be a group. I don't think that's going to be number one in the league. But given that they have a proven ace in Freed, They have a potential ace who was an ace last year in Strider. You have a budding guy that I know you love in Kyle Wright and then a veteran in Chandler Morton. That's a heck of a top four, and we'll get into all of these guys, but I think it does make sense projection-wise just at the top here talk about how this is going to be a good group.
2: Yeah, it should be, and we know how good, especially Max Freed. I mean, just so, so good, and with someone like Strider and Wright, two guys who admittedly as amazing as they were last year – it was the first time that both guys have had full successful major league seasons. And I think that probably weighs on the projections a bit. And then anytime you're dealing with Charlie Morton, who I believe is 38, 39 years old now, um, you know, at, at father time waits for no one at some point father time is going to come. And we know that that Charlie was not at his best last year and let's hope he gets a couple of his issues resolved. But if, if they can find someone to steady that fifth spot in the rotation, which is easier said than done, they then get someone to solidify the back end and you get mostly healthy years out of the big four. And this is a really good group. And as we saw last year, if they're able to work deep into games, ideally with a lead and then hand the ball over to the bullpen, which is expected to be just so good that that's going to be a winning formula most nights.
1: Yeah. And for the record, Morton is 39 now, uh, and I always take solace in the fact that he's older than I am. There's a there's a there's a dwindling number of professional athletes that I cover or watch that are older than I am, and Charlie is comfortably older than I am. So that's always nice to see. Uh, unless you are trying to root for a guy to be good, because as a guy as he gets older, it's less and less likely. Even if I like the Morton signing more than other people did, he is uh, quite old at this point. Thirty nine is not young, Scott. I'm not sure if you know that. As a man who's younger than I am, thirty nine is coming for you soon. I promise. I know.
2: I'm I'm dreading it. I did some yard work. This weekend, my <laughs> knees are killing me. My yard talk.
1: Is... Love that. Yeah. Love, love some yard that's talk. What,
2: that's what the people tune in. Scott's long <laughs>
1: care. Scott's long care minute would be a nice segment on the podcast. Okay. Yep. Um, we'll go, we'll kind of go through all of the guys now in the mix. Here we'll leave with Max Freed, who is the number one guy. We kind of all know that. Um, last year he was a top eight pitcher in baseball by Fram War. top eight in ERA. He was top five in both walk rate and home run rate. Uh, But it wasn't just last year either. I know he was number two in Cy Young voting in the National League. And that kind of tells you all all you need to know about how good he was. But even going back now for four seasons, he is 12th in Major League Baseball among starting pitchers in Fangraph's war in the last four seasons. That is excellent. That is proven ace stuff. And uh, he looks good in spring. I don't know how much to even say about Max Freed. Like he's very good. There's, I guess, if there is a debate about Max Freed, is like, is he a top five guy or a top twelve guy? Like, I don't really care. He's really good. He seems he seems to be pretty safe. And uh, all the discussion about Freed is like about contract stuff, which we're not going to do today. So it's like, all right, Max Freed, pretty good.
2: Yeah, and I think when I when I think about Max, I just think about the way that he has evolved so nicely as a starting pitcher. He's always had the nasty stuff, right? The mid-90s fastball and the hammer curve. and But the way that he has just developed and has different variations, seemingly, of each of his pitches. And, I mean, he has no real weakness on the mound. He does a great job of limiting walks. He keeps his strikeout rate high. He was fifth in the majors in home run rate last year, which is huge, especially in this era where everyone's trying to get the ball in the air. Just a really, really talented guy. And, you know, to the contract stuff, but that's really the only question I have with Max. He's been durable. I think the last three years, at least three full seasons, he's been healthy. He's shaken some of those kind of lingering issues he dealt with early on in his career. And if you're telling me in six, seven months, he was uh, going to be uh, in the front running for Cy Young again. He was number two last year. Shouldn't be a surprise to anyone and uh, just a really, really talented guy. And and I think the Braves are in really good shape to have him at the top of the or- or the uh, rotation.
1: Yeah, I mean, if anyone wanted to pick him to win Cy Young, it wouldn't be outrageous at all. And that is uh, a good indicator of what he is capable of doing. Uh, You made this note that I'll pass along to the people. Uh, I guess he talked to Jeff Schultz this week of The Athletic um, and said that he had that he lost 15 pounds last year at the end of the year. And uh, because he, of course, he was famously sick at the end of the season but uh Max Fried is pretty skinny. I can't imagine him losing that much weight. Like, can you imagine like how thin he must have been at the um, end of that?
2: <laughs> yeah, he I mean he doesn't have five pounds to lose, let alone 15.
1: I mean, that, that was crazy. He's listed at 6'4, 190, which is also which is already very skinny. Now it's not comical, but that's a very, very skinny man. I'm fairly slim and I'm about six foot and a half inch at about 180 pounds, and I'm not a professional athlete. So um, yeah, him losing him being 175, we'll say at six four is a uh, untenable so i'll be i'll be getting that weight back probably had uh, some fun eating to put it back on but um yeah hopefully he's feeling good and that's you know more of a one-off clearly it was just a uh, sort of bacterial infection all that stuff but if you're wondering why he was struggling at the end of at the end of last season that's probably the reason if you uh, had to put that all together at this point
2: yeah it's uh it's funny we as a fan base probably don't have any room to complain about bad luck in the playoffs after 2021 <laughs> but Max getting super sick and Strider blowing his oblique like two and a half three weeks before the playoffs began uh, that's pretty bad timing Brad
1: it was not great and yeah there's a debate as to whether like that would have saved anything but you almost you almost forget um the Strider thing is kind of more memorable but you know Freed was pretty uh pretty awful in his one start in the playoffs and you have to think maybe that was partly why he had not been uh well before that so maybe that was a sort of those one of those things but yeah it's t- it is tough at least this close to it still to uh, complain about anything but i'm glad you put it that way because it's still something to complain about if you want to <laughs> um all right well, we'll move on from max to the next two guys who are the younger more emerging pitchers but first a word from our sponsors on today's podcast
0: support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: All right, Scott, let us discuss Spencer Strider, who is, uh, I think it's safe to say, a fan favorite at this point, both locally and even nationally. He's the rarer, baseball person that is like really jumping off the screen, even nationally. I think maybe it's, maybe it's the mustache is the way he carries himself, but there is a a real buzz about Strider. Obviously the way he's pitching as well is a huge factor, but uh, I mean, you're out there in Arizona. Does he like, I mean, I I, I don't attention to the Braves more than most people would be out there, but uh, it feels like it's not even just an Atlanta thing. Like he's kind of getting national baseball buzz in an odd and also fun way.
2: Yeah, I think so. And you talk about like the fantasy baseball community, he, of course, is a fantasy baseball god with his crazy yeah. strikeout numbers. Um, I think he might have some bullpen eligibility as well, which, again, if you play fantasy baseball, you you care about a whole bunch. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think the Braves and Major League Baseball have done a nice job of marketing him to everyone. And, and how could you not? Right. I mean, the dude is so much fun to watch pitch. There's only so many guys on the planet who can run it up the way he does, and a lot of the time the guys you throw hardest are these, you know, bigger, bigger dudes, and he's all of, you know, what, 5'11", 185 pounds. I mean, he is not a, a big guy by any means. He has the clean delivery to the plate as well. Uh yeah, I mean, all aboard the Spencer Strider train.
1: Yeah, that's uh speaks for itself in a lot of ways, but we've gone through it before, we'll just do it again now. He really was arguably the best pitcher in baseball on an inning per inning basis last season. Uh, part of that's the strikeouts part of that's just the way he performed overall he was actually in the top 15 in fangraphs war despite throwing only 107 innings which is kind of outrageous and uh we talked about this during the season last year but if you're a new listener you might have missed it like we were kind of calling for him to be a starter before he actually became a starter it was like why isn't he starting what's going on maybe it was an innings thing all along but when he got there he was outrageous i mean he led the base, he led all baseball in strikeout rate. Right? He led baseball in FIP and xFIP. He's been great in the spring. Like he just really was ridiculous. And the discussion around him is more of not even like if he can repeat it, because basically it, it would almost be impossible to repeat quite what he did last year, but it's like, almost like, you know, how could he not? Like his stuff is so good that some regression has to be built in, but you know, and, and comparing him to Kyle Wright, we will get to in a second. Strider is a guy that it's like so much harder to pick apart. Aside from like workload concerns, I guess, or maybe injury concerns, it's hard to see him not being good. Like, I don't think he's going to be this good because nobody is basically. But like I, trying to find an, an actual projection baseline for Strider is tough because like if you go by what he actually did a year ago, it's easy to be like Cy Young for Strider, which again, I'm the guy who's programmed to be like, All right, everybody, everybody slow down a little bit. But it's if you look at like his batted ball data and his strikeout numbers, all that stuff, it's like he kind of is unhittable when he's got it going. And if that continues, like look out, I guess.
2: Yeah, you're right. It's hard to really poke any holes into his game. I mean, the strikeout stuff and and it just gives him such a high floor, I think, because as we know, you know, games can get weird whenever teams are putting the ball in play a bunch. Whenever you're striking them out, there is a 0% chance that something bad happens, right? They make the U-turn and they walk back to the dugout. Uh, With Strider, I think the only thing I'm really concerned about, and, and you touched on it, would just be the durability. He throws so hard, and even last year, he didn't join the rotation until June 1st. So he's never done it for six full months before. And I'm guessing the Braves will try to be strategic, maybe have him skip a start here or there just to give him a bit of a breather. As we know, it is such a long, long season, and you can have the choice, right? It doesn't always work out this way, but if you can have the choice, you want guys to be fresh and ready to roll in September and October when the games take on a bigger meaning. Uh, but really, it's it's just that is the only real question I have for Spencer, and he keeps himself in just such good physical shape. Um yeah, uh, you know, again, it's just it's a uh, try to imagine a year ago, Brad, when we did the starting rotation preview, and we'd be talking about Spencer Strider as a very legitimate Cy Young candidate. <laughs> one year later, right? Like that—that's crazy, and he's he's very deserving.
1: Yeah, I will certainly cop to not having that thought uh, a year ago. And yeah, I mean, you know, and again, we were we were kind of calling from the start, but it was more like this guy is probably going to be too good, and also because of what the Braves didn't have at the back end of the rotation and you know this year there's no question about this and obviously he's going to be in a rotation he's probably their number 2 in a lot of ways his his mix is different like that was one of the questions coming out about him about him being a starter is that he doesn't really throw this huge arsenal but he does have the stuff to get by with that and i guess maybe if there is a question it's like can he keep doing that is it always going to work out that way as he gets older maybe it was a touch of just raw stuff but Still, I, I don't have any concerns, you know, knock on wood, health and all those things, but uh, he's fantastic, and it's just kind of easier to sell yourself on Strider. Um, look, it's going to sound crazy. He has the highest upside. Even in, even in a rotation with Max Freed, if you say, okay, these guys hit their 95th percentile outcomes, Strider is better than Freed, which is crazy because Freed is Fried's awesome, and I think if you go median outcome, I will take Freed, but upside, it's Strider, and it's not. it might not even be close, It's crazy as that sounds. I don't even know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and there was some talk this week, Eno Saris of The Athletic, who is a great writer, had a really nice article on Strider and talking about Spencer only has really two pitches. It's the fastball and it's the slider. He threw a changeup, but only about 5% of the time last year. And just in my kind of back of my mind, when I think about Spencer's year, the changeup was not an out pitch, right? Like It was like, ooh, nasty changeup to get the third out. It was just kind of there to keep guys balanced at times. So if he's able to improve that changeup even a little bit and and make it part of his pitch mix, I mean the the sky is the limit. You're right. I mean you're talking obviously the the best in the game is the Cy Young, and I think that's a ceiling for him. And um, you know, and Strider also had some really interesting comments in that article about how he works with Travis Darno, and even though he only has two pitches really utilizing his fastball both up and down in the zone and almost using it like two separate pitches it was really a good article i encourage folks to to read it um but as we saw last year even if the changeup does not come you know a long way and it's just kind of there if he needs it he can clearly be successful with just the two pitches
1: yeah that is a uh, not a bad problem to have when you have two great pitches <laughs> we'll go from there okay we'll move on to kyle wright who uh you called it. I, I will give you the credit right now. Uh, granted, you called it like four years in a row. So I'm not I sure what great you it's got. But
2: what's the the broken <laughs> clock is right twice a day. Hey, I had, you, I had, I had to
1: troll you a little bit about it because it was a popular pick from you, but it, it worked. I mean, you were, uh, I will credit you with this. You did not give up on Kyle Wright in the way that most maybe did. So yeah. there's that. I just felt in my true
2: heart of hearts, I just felt the stuff was too good for him to just never figure it out. And I'm, I'm very glad he did.
1: Yes, I would concur with all of that. So Kyle Wright is the clear number three in terms of, you know, upside and all that stuff. Um, he has not pitched yet in the spring, which is worth noting. We've not talked about the performance of Free and Strider in the spring too much. They were both, they've both been pitching well, but it's the spring. But right through a BP session, uh, a live BP session on Friday. He had the cortisone shot in his shoulder back in January. He's been ramping up since then. They're aiming to have him maybe debut this coming week. They have not said when, but Brian Snicker said to the media that he is, quote, checking all the boxes and feels good, end quote, on Friday. So just some build up stuff there. Hopefully they're uh, certainly banking on him being in a rotation to start the season. But I will say if he's not pitching in game action pretty soon, the questions arise. So he's kind of the most uncertain through that lens. Um, what do you make of that before we talk about how how good he was last year and what he might do this year? Like, any concern yet about the uh, shoulder?
2: Not yet. Um, shoulders do concern me, probably more so than elbows at this point. Um, you know, Kyle got the injection in his shoulder in January, and he's actually said that his shoulder feels better now than it did at any point over the last couple of years, including last year. So let's hope that continues. I mean, he had a really nice 2022, obviously, and if, if he's even better, or can match it, it's going to be huge for this team. Uh, you know, middle of March, early mid March, you would like to see him get some real game action, in, and it sounds like he will do that here in the, in the coming week, even if it's against the minor leaguers. But nonetheless, as I just said with Strider, even if he needs a little bit more time at the start of the year, I'm obviously in favor of of giving that extra time and. And then just having him ready at some point in April, but uh, people around the team seem to think that Kyle will be good to go here pretty soon.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, on the on, on the same page there. And you know, Snit did not seem like he was just covering; like he seemed to be pretty enthusiastic in his comments. And um, until he's not pitching next week or something close to that, I won't be worried either. Just something to keep an, keep an eye on, if nothing else, because usually um, you kind of are just making sure nobody gets hurt. But now he actually is not hurt, but not quite all the way there just yet. As for on the field with Kyle Wright, last year, you know, he won 21 games. I don't care about that. And people probably shouldn't care about that. But he did have a low three ZRA, 3.19 for the season. His metrics um, underlying were not quite as good as that. And I think it's probably fair, based on what we know about pitching, to indicate that he might have been a little bit lucky with his ZRA. Now, that doesn't mean he's bad, obviously, but probably more indicative of like a mid-three ZRA guy, which is still really good. Um, He was good in the playoffs, but also struggled down the stretch. Could have been workload concerns. He had not pitched that much or anything close to that much in a, in a professional sense. Um, but I'll give you the floor because you are the Kyle Wright whisperer. Uh, do you buy it? I guess is the big question of like, can he repeat what he did last year? And even if he doesn't, like, what is a realistic baseline for this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, assuming he's healthy and I, I mean, it seems like he will be. But and I guess we could say assuming he's healthy before everybody we talk about today. But I, I do think that a an ERA in the threes, no matter what it is, is going to be deemed a success. Obviously, you'd like it to be on the lower side of the threes than the higher threes. But uh, the Braves, assuming Freed and Strider have the years that they need, they don't need, or that that they're hoping for, they don't necessarily need Wright and Morton to go out there and be incredible again. And it would certainly help if they were, but you know, you have those two top dogs at the rotation. If Wright can go 180 innings this year, you absolutely take it. I think we have watched over the years, just how much better he has gone. Not only with the stuff, because the stuff has always been there, but the just way he conducts himself on the mound. And it always seemed like one ball would get bobbled and all of a sudden Kyle would implode. We saw him work through that last year and more times than not, he would figure out a way to, to get out of the jam uh, it's not necessarily something you want to make a habit of, but again, if if he's able to just kind of keep progressing the way he did last year, he was just so steady for this team is probably the word I would use for Kyle. It's just steady. Whenever the Braves needed him, he would go six, seven innings. And sure, he doesn't have the dominant stuff that Strider does, or you know maybe he's not quite to the level of a Max Freed. But if Kyle Wright can be Kyle Wright from last year, pretty close to it, I think the Braves take it all day long.
1: Oh, yeah, I think that's... Almost goes without saying, like he's not um, a guy that's ever going to, in my mind, totally blow you away. I don't think he has the upside of the other two, but all he needs to be, and, and this is something that's very similar to Charlie Morton. I'm talking, to, talking about in a second. All Kyle Wright needs to be is a quality number three starter. And I think for basically every team in the world, he'd be, he, he would be that based on his current performance level. And look, I, I would definitely take the over on last year's ERA repeating. I would probably go somewhere in the mid, maybe even higher mid threes. And that's not bad at all. In fact, that's quite good, especially for a third starter. So him, he follow him following up is one of, I won't say it's a huge question mark, but if you're looking at this rotation, like versus Morton or, you know, Strider is obviously we talked about it a second ago. I have almost a little bit more uncertainty about right than I do about Strider, even though he's been around for longer and he's older. Morton has the age concerns, of course, but you know, it's just it's a lot for Wright to uphold what he did last year, and I think it'd almost be better if people didn't just assume that that was his baseline. And if he if it is, and it might be, that'd be better clearly. But I think you kind of have to build in some regression, and I'm sure I'll get yelled at yeah. for saying that. But it's just <laughs> like try to be realistic on some level, and that's never fun or what people want to do. But that's just where I'd be.
2: No, it's fair, and I think longtime listeners of the podcast know that you and I aren't going to come on and just blindly say, yep, we're thinking Kyle Wright finishes third in Cy Young voting just because we like the guy. And he could. could. That is an outcome. He won 20 games last year. Even if the win has been devalued, he won 20 games last year. You don't win 20 games by sucking, right? Like It's just the fact. Uh, But no, I mean, there are are questions with Kyle. We've seen before 2022, it would seem like he'd have a good start and then he'd have two bad ones and you repeat the cycle and I love the way that they developed him and brought him along in 2021, letting him spend the entire year in Gwinnett. That way, he wasn't getting jerked back and forth between the majors and the minors, but it's absolutely fair to question what kind of year he's going to be able to do. Now, this is not a a Max Scherzer, right, where he's been doing it really well for 15 years, and you just kind of bank on it. Um, there is some some variability with him, but I do think even if the metric showed that he was fortunate a little bit, it's not like we're talking about a screaming regression candidate and the Braves should have been proactive in figuring out another guy for the rotation. Um, He's still pretty young, too. He should be in the middle of his prime if not entering it. Um, But it is. Sure, there there are questions with Kyle, to be
1: sure. Yeah, and this is not gospel either, but I'll just give you the Zips projection. It's, uh, what, 3.81 ERA. That seems reasonable to me. I might lean to the under on it, but it's not like out of line. And, you know, I think people will probably, some people will probably see that and think, wait, he's obviously better than that. And he might be. It's just, uh, it's basically a one season sample. And similarly to Strider, although Strider's stuff, just the raw production of it was more impressive than what Wright did. Like, There's a little bit of instability for guys who have only done it for one year. And that's where both of these guys are. So I think that I would probably take this is a very cop-out answer. Somewhere between last year's ERA and Zip's projection is kind of where I'd be in that like three, five, three, six, three, seven range. And again, that's a very, very good pitcher. And if Kyle Wright does that, you got to be happy about that. That's that's where I'd be.
2: You take it. They and just to kind of put a bow, right? The Braves are not relying on this guy to be their front running ace. Nope. And if Kyle wants to enter that, I mean, there I think there is a world where he gets even better. I mean, if if oh, he's yeah. If his shoulder is truly the best it's felt in a couple of years, and he now has a full year under his belt to kind of learn from and know what's needed to, to manage a full year, could he be even better? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you just you just don't know with guys his age and with his you know lack of experience. I guess we'll say, but. Um, you know, last year was just so much fun to watch him. It, clearly a guy who he's talked about his mental health issues with the game and just how much pressure he put on himself early in his career, the, the pressure that comes with being a top five pick and immediately wanting to be able to come up and help out your team. And I think that was always the hurdle for Kyle. And as long as he's able to, uh, keep doing what he's doing. Yeah. Who's to say he couldn't be even better, uh, in 2023.
1: Uh, as a transition point, people are going to really not like this very much at all. And I think that even Dan Zaborski, who is a friend of the podcast, I would say, um, who does Zips projections, would acknowledge that it might be a little bit out of line. But uh, Charlie Morton has a better Zips projection ERA than Wright. <laughs> so uh, thoughts on that, Scott? I mean, I, I'm sure you don't hmm. agree, but it's just an interesting data point. I'll just point no, out. it
2: is. and And the reason is because for folks who maybe aren't as familiar with projections, it's because Morton has been really good for a decade and Kyle's been good for a year. And I think that's what projections lean on. Uh, you know, if I had to pick today, I don't don't know where you're at, Brad, and maybe we'll come back to this in seven months, but Kyle Wright or Charlie Morton, who has the higher war, assuming both are healthy and pitch a similar amount of innings, I would probably go with Wright. Uh, but I, you know, I think either it's, it's a good, I think it's a fun game and question to ask.
1: Yeah, I would take right. And i I know I'm I've been seen as the Morton guy and with good reason I think that I do still think that Charlie Morton can be valuable. I would take right pretty clearly there. but I will say, um I would imagine if we pulled our listeners, it would probably be 90 10 or maybe even higher than that in favor of right. And I think it's uh, it's more plausible that Morton is better than right that people want to probably understand, if that makes sense. There's more variance there. Um and I think the the good thing if you were the, if you're the Braves is that I think there's a, a, a pretty good chance. I'm not saying it's going to happen. There's a decent chance that it's not because Wright is bad. It's because Morton is good. Like that's on the table. So we'll talk about Morton now. But like, there's a world in which Morton is better than Wright, and Wright is still good. That's all I'm saying.
0: (laughs) So yeah,
2: um, I mean, don't don't forget to you know I'm talking to the fly on the wall here, but you know don't forget how good Charlie Morton was just a year ago. And sure, he's a year older, but there was no dramatic change in anything. Right. I mean, I guess spring training last year was a little unconventional, but there was no difference really for Morton's situation at all. He had the same catcher. Uh, He just, you know, he was same team, Um, you know, it's just a a product of the home run ball, which we're going to talk about in a minute.
1: Yeah. And to your point, just a reminder of what he was in 2021 at the age of 37. So he was pretty old still. He had a 3.3 ERA with more than 10 strikeouts per nine and was a like four and a half win pitcher. Um, that was only a year and a half ago, two years ago. So last year, was he great? No, he wasn't. He had an ERA of 4.3. That's not fantastic for, at the time, what was supposed to be your number two starter. And that's important context because now, now, now he's your four starter. And that's very, very helpful. But, you know, he talked about it. The strikeout rate still very good last year. Walk rate still very good last year. The downside, though, was the home run ball. And he really had one of the worst home run rates of any guy who was at least pretty decent in baseball last year. Uh, 16.5% of his fly balls became home runs last year. That was the third worst rate in all baseball. That's unsustainably high. In fact, one of the two guys who actually allowed more home runs per fly ball was a Rockies pitcher who pitches half of their games in course field. So really only one guy. It was Garrett Cole, by the way. Garrett Cole is awesome. He was actually the guy who pit, gave up more home runs per fly ball than Morton. Um, but I think realistically, I'd be shocked if he gave up that many home runs again. Um, but this is what makes it tricky. Clearly, it's just the age. Like If Charlie Morton was 33 this year and had the same you know, eight, nine-year track record of success, I would be probably pounding the table for Charlie Morton as a very clear positive regression candidate. The problem is that he is 39 and at 39, while you and I pay close attention to this stuff, we can't possibly know if that is just the end for Charlie Morton. It is certainly possible that Charlie Morton is just going to be going down, down, down the the regression age-related curve and never recover again. That's in play for a guy who's 39 years old. So, and that's, we'll just acknowledge that right now. We don't know and we can't know, but, that really, for me, is the—I won't say the only concern. It is the biggest concern because the home run stuff is a little bit alarming from last year. But the peripherals were kind of similar. I mean, the home run rate—I mean, sorry—the the the barrel rate was up a little bit, but it wasn't like it was super drastic. And I don't know. I I, I kind of buy Morton honestly compared to everybody else. I think I said that throughout the winter. But um, maybe I'm wrong. Are you uh, are you feeling more more pessimistic than I am? I'm sure you are compared to me. But where are you at, Morton?
2: No, actually, I was going to say, I was looking at Charlie's numbers from last year. If I had to bet, I would bet on him having a better year than he had last season. Me too. Um, The flukiness with the home run ball, just, it was such a dramatic outlier, I have to think. It was just one of those baseball things. And, you know, even though his command was good, he seemingly, every start would hit at least one or two batters with a pitch, which was just odd. I mean, that makes me think that there was just mechanically something Ever so slightly off. Uh, he's a veteran. He he's been around the block for a long time. Um, it is possible, right? Thirty nine years old. There's not many thirty nine year old starters still pitching at a high level. But again, he's been generally pretty durable as well. So even if Charlie is the same guy he was last year, sure, it's it's not a perfect scenario for the Braves. But if he's going to go out there and eat innings and have a Hopefully even a low fours ERA as the team's number four starter, assuming the other three are healthy and th- going well, you can live with that. I mean, I mean, the Braves did live with that last year, right? They won 101 games and it was with Morton having the worst year of his career in like six or seven seasons. It, you know, it's it's not outrageous to think that Charlie might just be done, but I do think the stuff is still there, the strikeouts are still there. Uh, if there was a dramatic drop in like velocity, you start to worry, but even that was pretty consistent as well. You know, I, th- I think Morton probably has one more year left in him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is his final year. I believe there's a team option on him for 2024, but um, I-, I think he has one more year left in the tank.
1: Yeah, I think we're on the same page and I-, I could already hear the reactions. I know when I defended the contract, I got yelled at a lot for that and I understand. And look, I even said then it wasn't a deal that I would have been excited to do. In that moment, we want we, and for this podcast, we don't have to relitigate that he's on the team. This is more of a on-field preview podcast than a um, you know salary sheet projection. And n- nobody loved that, including me. I was just higher on it than most people were. But as far as like the pitcher, I think what you said there is a, is a good way to frame it. Like I think if I had to choose whether he is better or worse than last year, I would say better, acknowledging that there is downside in a way that there is not typically for a guy who is not 39 years old, if that makes sense. Like, he's 39 years old. It's just more than this. So uh, I unless you have more thoughts on more and we can get to the fifth starter battle because...
2: No, I, th- all, I think that's... Yeah, the fifth starter battle is probably the one with the most intrigue here, at least for me.
1: Yeah, and I think most people say the same. You know, The top four barring injury are the top four in some order. Um, all signs, I think people covering the team down in Florida are indicating that it's realistically a battle between Ian Anderson and Bryce Elder right now um, in part because Colby Allard is hurt. Mike Soroka is sorry. Michael Soroka is not hundred percent back either. Uh, and then the, the young guys uh, Dylan Dodd, who we mentioned on, on the bullpen show is a little bit ways off. I think the sleeper is probably Jared Schuster who is getting a lot of good buzz right now. Our, our guy, Garrett Spain noted, his velocity was up and he pitched today on Sunday. Uh, he's the sleeper candidate. And I think I saw either DOB or Bowman or maybe both say like, wouldn't be a surprise if he's, if he's up at some point this year. And that's usually what you say when a guy is like not going to start the season in Atlanta, but probably will be there at some point. Um, But does it feel like it's Elder and Anderson and that's kind of it for you? Or is there a chance that they go with Schuster? Let's say if Anderson and Elder don't have their, uh, the best finish to spring training.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think it's between Anderson and Elder. You know, I think behind closed doors, the Braves would tell you they wish that Ian would come out and take the job, if that makes sense, right? Like have a couple of really good starts to close out the spring and just make it obvious that he should be the fifth starter. The issue, and this has been an issue for about a year and a half now with Ian Anderson, is he's been very, very inconsistent. One start, the changeup is working. He's throwing strikes, he's around the zone. And then the next start, he's struggling to even, you know, throw more than a strike or two per hitter and he's walking the bases full and he's having to get out of jams. Um, You know, I think the Braves would prefer that Anderson come out and win the job. And that's not a knock on Bryce elder, who I think is fine. I mean, I think he would be okay in that fifth role. He just doesn't have much upside. I don't think, I mean, I think he would be the definition of like a five innings per start fifth starter. And you can do worse. I mean, the projections don't hate him. Um, if if I had to bet, assuming they both stay healthy, I would lean towards Ian Anderson getting the job just because he has done it before at the highest level. But Bryce Elder is not a bad fallback option.
1: Yeah, I think that your framing there is right. And you know, Elder, to his immense credit, was quite solid last year. And he was off the radar for uh for wish for me um most of the season, but you know, came in, did yeoman's work. It felt like, and I think everybody kind of knows this by the end, that they were trying to have him pitch against bad teams because they know his stuff is not great. And Anderson is a, you know, four top five pick and has the pedigree. And I think what you said there makes a lot of sense that the Braves would rather have Ian just take the job, but he, you know, Anderson, beat his peripherals the first two years he was up. And then last year really was not good. Even in Gwinnett was not good last year. And uh, the command has been all over the place in spring he doesn't look great at this point. I've always been a little bit lower than, Ian than some. Uh, I think because of the just the performance didn't really match. And look, his playoff heroics a couple of years ago were immense. He's had some really nice some really nice highs, but also some pretty low lows. Elder, as weird as it says, probably is safer. And that's like not where I thought we'd be, but I think he is. <laughs> he is.
2: No, I think safer is probably the best way to describe the battle between the two. The yeah. The upside of Ian is obviously higher. I mean, this is a guy who was really, really good. And I mean, he threw five no-hit innings in the World Series. But ever since that shoulder injury in the middle of 2021, he just hasn't been the same guy. The command hasn't been as sharp. And you know, again, he came up in the 2020 COVID year. And everything was just kind of a, a great blur, I think, during that year. But before then, the one question that I think the prospect folks had for Ian was, was his command going to be steady enough to be a reliable option every five days? And at the start it was, but since that shoulder injury in the middle of 2021, it's been a bit of a roller coaster.
1: Yeah, that's a good sort of framing device for it as well. And look, I don't want to, this is not about being low on Elder either. Like I think, you know, Zips likes Elder. He has a sub four Era projection by Zips. He doesn't look great in the spring, but it's it's a small sample size. I, I think that just to say this out loud, a lot of teams would love to have bryce elder as their fifth starter a lot of teams if not most teams if not the vast majority of teams bryce elder would be a a top five starter in most organizations it's just that he's not the sexiest guy he's fine and i think that if they if they open the season with him as a fifth starter i'm fine with that it doesn't bother me at all um but even in gwinnett last year bryce elder had a mid-fours era in 105 innings like that's not gonna blow you away man um and then look I saw people kind of, maybe it was more just having fun, but like almost pining after Jared Schuster during a spring start this weekend. And that's fine. Obviously he's a guy with real pedigree as well. Um, and maybe if he just proves to be the best guy they go with him, but they have so many names here. I mean, Ian Soroka was, I think might be in the mix if he ever gets healthy and back on the same page this year, they like Allard um, more than I do candidly, but he got hurt. He has the great two oblique strength. So he's going to be on the I- on the IL and we'll certainly start in Gwinnett. So We've said it a lot. We'll say it again now. They're going to need more than five, six, seven starters over the course of the season. So it's almost overblown who the fifth guy is. But in April, they're going to have a fifth guy. And I think that they probably will just choose someone and roll with him. And uh, it seems like Anderson versus Elder is going to be what it, what it is. But honestly, they still have two weeks left. If something changes. Like, if, maybe if they're both bad, they just do something else. And look, I, I said this a lot, too, just to, like, I'll stop rambling. But there is still a chance... I'm not saying it's likely that somebody somewhere gets released or they can trade for someone on a one-year contract or something like that. If they don't love their options, this is a world series contending team. They might just go trade for somebody and it won't be somebody sexy, but they'll, that would not stun me. Like I would not fall out of my chair on March 23rd. If Alex traded for a boring veteran.
2: Yeah. Like not drew smiley, but someone like drew smiley. Am I right, Brad? Someone uh,
1: like Drew Smiley, uh, someone, and I'm I hesitate to even say this, someone like Jaco D'Arizi, not those it. guys, but like again, and no one will be celebrating that, and I get it, and I, I wouldn't yeah. be either, but I, I would have done that already, candidly, if I was the Braves, just to bring somebody else in. Because look, all of these guys, while well, they have experience, so you know, some of them have experience, obviously, uh, you know, Allard, Elder, Elder and Anderson have all, all pitched in the majors, you know, it'd probably be better if they just had one of those old hands around. Just to have another guy, like is, they don't have an elder. I mean, obviously they have Morton, but just having a guy who's a little bit—I mean, I guess Elder is safe, but I don't know. I would—I would just feel better somewhere in my soul if they had a boring thirty-four-year-old.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, th- I mean, there is. There's a pretty high chance of of risk with Anderson and Elder and Soroka. I mean, I think we're we're all pretty much in agreement that if Soroka can get his health to cooperate. And that is, of course, far easier said than done at this point, just with everything that poor kid has had to battle. But if Soroka can ever get things healthy, I, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, you know, his results last year in the minor leagues were pretty solid. The stuff is still there. It's just a matter of his body cooperating. But similarly to last year, you know, the Braves were in a similar spot. I mean, they they didn't have a locked-in fifth starter. And they, I mean, Elder got a shot. Uh, Tucker Davidson got a shot. Tukey Toussaint, I think, got a shot. Sean Newcomb might have gotten even a start at one point. I mean, they they kind of circled through guys until it just became blatantly obvious that Spencer Strider needed to be the fifth. And thank God he was, just knowing that Ian wasn't going to have the best year. Um, it seems like they're going to try to do it again. And you're right. Maybe they do bring in someone from the outside, I think, in a perfect world, just because of the state of the farm system. Um, you know they could just use somebody in house, um. And I do I do like Jared Schuster. I, I know folks who follow the Braves minor leagues. Um, you know are fans of Schuster's former first round pick has a great change up, and if his velocity is up, and we'll see if if the velocity is actually up or if it was just a hot gun in spring training today. But if he can add a couple of ticks on his fastball, which usually sits around ninety. Uh, you're talking about a guy who could really make an impact at some point.
1: Yeah, I like Schuster too. So that, that's a more, maybe more long term, but someone to keep an eye on for sure. And I wouldn't bail entirely on Soroka or Allard either. So, and Dylan Dodd's a guy people like. So they're not in bad shape. Uh, it's not a great spot. It's not one that you could just have overwhelming confidence in. But over the course of the season, they're probably going to need all these guys. And look, in September or August or July, I would almost wager that someone that we did not talk about on this podcast will pitch a game. <laughs> it just almost always happens. Oh yeah. It's like you know, you're going to need, you're going to need 10, 11, 12 guys to pitch games. And it's just, we've, we've already talked about what eight or nine, but either they'll trade for someone or to be another, you know, off the radar, weird prospect or something It kind of always happens. So
2: yeah. If it ever got to like dire straits, you know, they could probably even do a bullpen opener. I mean, I, oh, I don't yeah. think they would want to do it, but, Jesse,
1: Chavez, clap. Yeah, clap, literally clap,
2: clap, Chavez clap. or Colin McHugh. They could they could figure it out. I don't, they don't want to do that for a full year because it would kill the bullpen. And I think you would want to utilize someone like McHugh in particular in higher leverage spots. But teams have done that to bridge the gap, and, and that's certainly an, an option as well.
1: Yeah, so we've talked about a lot. Clearly, I, we feel pretty good. I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like we feel pretty good about the rotation in general. Is it going to be the best one in baseball? Probably not, but there is a world where it is. I mean, if, if Freed, Strider, Wright, Morton all hit their, you know, 80th percentile or something like that, that's uh, probably the best rotation in baseball with the top four in baseball. That's not likely because it's never likely to have everybody hit at the same time and be healthy at the same time. But uh, there is a world with, with with that kind of upside. And I think you got to feel really good about it. Is it the best unit? Maybe not. But that's part of this whole preview series is that the Braves don't really have, broadly speaking, like they, they don't. there's not like a bullpen, like a huge bullpen question. There's not a huge rotation question. Their individual positions on the diamond that are questions, but the lineup is not a question either. So that's kind of the theme of the whole thing. But I mean, rotationally, I feel pretty good. You kind of have to.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're talking about big picture here if we're talking about the real concerns being who's going to eat innings in the fifth spot of the rotation and who's going to be Eddie Rosario's right-handed platoon partner <laughs> in left field i mean that's really it right like i if you assume that Travis Darno is going to dh most of the time which i do i think there's maybe some folks who don't think so but i think that the the plan is for for Darno or even Murphy on occasion to be the primary dh I mean, there's really just not a ton of questions at this point. I mean, maybe the last spot in the bullpen or two, but we know that bullpens are going to be a carousel anyway. Um, It's just a really, really good roster, maybe one through 23 or one through 24. And that's just those last two spots they're trying to figure out.
1: Yep. Yep. And we're on the same page with all of that. So room for optimism about the rotation. And uh, if anything changes in the next couple of weeks, we'll definitely cover it on the podcast. But that is your uh, broadly speaking, your rotational preview. And again, if you missed it last week, the bullpen was the focus of that podcast. We'll have the lineup, God willing, next week on the show as I am traveling all over the place. And that is a good transition point, Scott, to what people actually want to hear from us. And that is March Madness talk at the end of the podcast.
2: Yeah, baby. We... Um... If you do not care about college basketball, if you off. do not care about the NCAA <laughs> tournament, this is your cue. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back here next Sunday night to talk about the lineup. Yeah, uh, it's
1: been it's been 50 minutes or so of baseball talk. But that's plenty. We do, we do encourage you to subscribe to the show. And I, yeah. I think some people might be joking when they ask us to talk about this, but uh, we do have people that do want us to talk about it. And also, you and I talk about it and enjoy this discussion. We, we will not go long on the tournament now. I promise you that. It's not going to be a full hour <laughs> like that. But um, it's selection Sunday and Scott and I love college basketball and I'm literally traveling the rest of the month basically to cover college basketball in person. So it's a, a prominent part of our lives at this point. And also one of us is a fan of a team. That's good. and It's not me.
2: So. Uh, I'm sorry about Michigan, Brad. I was pulling for you, buddy.
1: It's okay. I uh, I had very low expectations by the, end, by the end of the season. Your Arizona Wildcats though are uh, a two seed. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Um, also conference title was uh nice to see from from your boys on on saturday evening um i guess the best way to do this scott we won't do the whole thing uh i need like what final? you want, you want to do final four you want to do elite eight picks like where do you want to go here Ooh,
2: let's do um let's do elite eight picks brad these are all sure to be 100 everybody should copy no i'm just kidding don't copy our picks probably i've also do... done
1: zero prep like we uh, literally yeah. the bracket came out Uh, And we started recording like shortly after it. So uh, I have a bracket in front of me, but I have not done any prep at all. So this is going to be fun. Um, Let's talk about the South real fast. That's where Arizona is. The South regional in Louisville, top seed, Alabama, two seed, Arizona. Um, Are you picking anyone other than Alabama and Arizona?
2: Um, I don't think so. I think it's a pretty friendly draw for Alabama. Um, You know, Virginia is the four seed seed is a little concerning just because they play so slowly. And if you get them on a night when they're making shots and they just, you know, kill 25 seconds on the shot clock, every time it could be maddening. And even San Diego state is a pretty tough team as well. Defensively. I was going to no, say,
1: it... honestly, I'd be more worried about San Diego state than Virginia. Yeah. If I was there if I was uh, Alabama, just for, yeah, things, but... no,
2: both those teams can be difficult. Just the way the style of play they're veteran teams, whereas Alabama just uber talented, uh, but you know, not super long in the tooth in terms of of, of uh, experience. But no, I, I think Alabama, um, Arizona is a fascinating team. I mean, they went 12-2 and two against teams in the NCAA tournament. They beat UCLA twice. They beat Tennessee. They beat Indiana on a neutral floor. They beat Creighton on a neutral floor. Um, but they also had some really bad losses, and it's not a super athletic group. So, But no, I, I think I'll do Alabama, Arizona. Uh, in the elite eight from the south
1: yeah that's where i uh, i think i would be as well i'm you know they're the best two teams Uh, i think it's a friendly group a friendly bracket for your for your group i'm not high on baylor this year um i do like adam flagler who's a duluth high school product but i'm not a big fan of baylor this year so i lean to your guys as well in the bottom half of that bracket uh the east Is Purdue at the top? Uh, Marquette is the two seed. Kansas State is the three seed. Tennessee is the four seed. Duke is the, I'm sure, very popular pick five seed in the East. And this feels like, to me, the worst regional. That's my opinion.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I loved, I got to see Tennessee in person back in December when they came out to Arizona. Now I loved Tennessee, but without their point guard, that's a tough go.
1: Yeah. Their uh, offense is bad full strength and even worse without him so um do you have do you have leans here because honestly i was i was desperately wanting to not pick purdue but this this regional is pretty friendly to purdue i think honestly i might pick duke which feels so square but they're playing really well and they have a lot of talent um do you have thoughts i mean duke kentucky redux 30 years later
2: (laughs) yeah um yeah kentucky i mean that's such a fascinating team right like they you tell me kentucky's in the final four in two weeks i'd believe you and if you tell me they get bounced by 10 points on thursday i i would believe that too i mean they, i mean they-, they
1: literally it's crazy that they decided to put both duke and kentucky in the same region as the five and six seed because they're like they're not the same team but there's kind of the same framing like they're both been playing well at the end of the year they're both loaded with talent kind of underachieving of that talent throughout the course of the season and they're yeah. in the same region in the, in the middle of it so who knows
2: yeah yeah a little odd um yeah, I'm with you. I didn't want to pick Purdue. I always pick Purdue and they always seemingly let me down. Um, Boy, I mean, I, th- I think it'll probably be Duke and Purdue in the Sweet 16. I guess I would lean. Oh boy. I probably Purdue just I don't. <laughs> the big guy is so good. I mean, he he just is automatic. And if they can get anything from their guards, they're tough out. Um, I really like Marquette. Um, I thought Marquette was kind of under the radar. And then they really were impressive uh, in their conference tournament. I think, um, I boy, that Purdue Duke game is one I'm probably going to flip a coin on. But yeah, I'm leaning towards Purdue and Marquette, even if it's it's boring chalk.
1: That is the one I'm gonna go chaos because there's always one just total chaos bracket, and that's that's my choice for the for this one for this year. I think that it's going to be total chaos. I think either Duke gets to the um, Elite Eight or Final Four, or like one of the Kentucky Kansas State teams gets there, like or maybe even both. Just wouldn't surprise me at all. Total madness. Purdue's guard Purdue's guard play is terrible. They can't they can't they can't break a press. If anybody, if anybody presses them, they're done. Um yeah. I'm I'm kind of kidding, but I'm also not. It, if
2: it uh if it happens, I think can't K- uh K-State and Kentucky in the second round would be a great matchup.
1: Also, uh everyone in the world is already trying to decide whether to take Memphis over Purdue. And I am going to take Florida Atlantic to be at Memphis because mm. everyone started talking about Memphis. And, and just
2: one, this is a freebie. And when it's wrong, everybody can tweet me and tell me I'm an idiot. But USC sucks. Like <laughs> like hammer Michigan State. And Pack, I
1: Pac-12 Insider Scott Coleman right here. That's I, all I'm saying.
2: I, I literally I've probably seen USC play four full games, maybe five full games throughout the year. They suck. So, and it's Tom Izzo, Michigan State. I would imagine that's one most people are going to take the Spartans anyway. Um, but I I mean, of course, when USC wins by 15, everybody can yell at me. But I, I have no confidence. I think Michigan State wins that one pretty easily.
1: The Pac-12 insider has spoken, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, moving on to the Midwest, where Houston is there. Texas is there. Um, Xavier is the three seed. The four seed is Indiana. Five seed is Miami, Uh, interesting setup here. Houston may not have Marcus Sasser. They might have Marcus Sasser. I, spoiler would have taken Houston to win the championship, but I don't know if I can because Marcus Sasser is really good and he's currently hobbling around. So who knows? Do you have thoughts on this, uh, Kansas City Regional?
2: Yeah, Houston, I mean, Houston thumped Arizona last year and I all year long, I was like, how the heck is Houston ranked so highly? And then you watch them play against your favorite team and you're like damn these guys are tough and they did make the elite eight last year without Sasser he blew out his knee and yes um they're a really tough team yeah this this bracket um boy I I, I don't know I mean if if um I, I'm probably leaning God I'm going to chalk Brad I hate it um <laughs> I, I'd probably go Houston against Texas uh in the in the all Texas Elite eight I do think Xavier is really good Sean Miller is a good tournament coach for the most part. Um, oh, do, you, do you know him
1: for some reason? I, I know do know Sean here. well.
2: Sean, the fact that Sean Miller got destroyed and Bill Self is like ESPN's favorite coach just blows my mind. But unless I could go for an hour on that one. Um, you know, Indiana has been really Jekyll and Hyde this year. Um, if Miami's healthy, I think they're a dangerous team. Um, even Even Auburn and Iowa in that 8-9 is a really interesting game. I believe that's being played in Birmingham. Is that right? Or... I believe it's right down the road so that that's yeah. an interesting dynamic as well. Um you know but yeah if Houston doesn't have Sasser I do worry about that second round game a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um an interesting bracket overall. I think Texas is peaking at the right time. They won the Big 12. They're very good. Um so we'll see. And lastly is the regional I am going to be attending in the west out in Las Vegas for the first time uh regional ever being there. Uh, Also the best regional, it it seems like the consensus is this is the best regional there. It's ridiculous. They have Kansas, UCLA, Gonzaga, UConn, St. Mary's. I know you don't love, but I like St. Mary's Uh, TCU is a heck of a six seed. If they're healthy, Uh, that top six is brutal. And then Arkansas is the eight seed and they're scary, I think in my mind. So uh, it's also like a lot of good teams also kind of feels wide open because Kansas is the defending champion they were not the number one overall seed, which is kind of controversial, but, um, you know, they could be beaten by a handful of these teams, I would imagine, even though they're yeah. they're also very good, really.
2: Yeah, I mean, if it's funny, last year, Kansas had such a cake draw to the championship. I mean, their region last year was a joke, and this year they drew by far, I think, the most difficult. They also were in the West, so they aren't going to play in Kansas City I think, which raised some eyebrows. They have to go out to Vegas, which is going to be a show. I know you're looking forward to that. Um, yeah, this this region to me, I think, is, is really, really tough. Um, you know, UCLA might have, it, it pains me to say this, but before UCLA had all of their injuries, I might have actually taken the Bruins to win the championship. Um, They're just so, so good defensively and just a veteran team that just grinds you down. And then they have some really talented kids who have been around, um, but they lost their second leading scorer, best defensive player, and uh, their center, who blocks like eight shots a game, probably dislocated his shoulder. So just for folks who maybe aren't in tune with UCLA, they do have some pretty serious injury concerns and then Gonzaga is playing really well, and it's kind of weird to see Gonzaga on the three line because they've been a one for a while now. They're, they're kind of under the radar, I think, a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, they drew they drew a TCU team. If they can get everything together, now TCU is really talented. UConn is really talented. The computers love St. Mary's. I mean, you just go down the list here. I mean, any of those teams we just listed off, I think, could very easily be in the Final Four.
1: Yeah, it would be very Gonzaga to go to the Final Four this year when they probably shouldn't. Like, their guard play is the worst it's been in probably five years. Um, they're still really good, and but it's always funny, like, you know, the the takes about Gonzaga the last few years have been out of control. Um, so it would be pretty interesting for them to kind of make a run here, even though they're still they're still quite good. It's just that it would be more surprising this time around. But yeah, I have no idea what this region Um <laughs> If I had to make a pick, I'll, I'll say... Honestly, it would have been, and I'm not trolling here, I would have loved UCLA with John Clark, but they don't yeah. have John Clark anymore. Yeah, so, losing Clark
2: kills that. I mean, not kills them, but that that really hurts.
1: Yeah, so I think I would probably default to Kansas in the top half, even though I don't love that, and then I'll just say Gonzaga because I think Gonzaga would probably beat UCLA without John Clark if I had to guess, but we'll see. Um, yeah,
2: and, and uh, I think UConn is a real – They're really I mean, good. Honestly, at every step, Kansas is going to have a battle. I mean,
1: they they got no favors. I mean, usually Kansas feels like has a pretty friendly path. Like they they end up in Kansas City a lot, playing basically home games. None of that happened this time around. Like they are a tough road. By the way, I I believe, yeah, right now, as of this moment, UConn is number four at Kemp Home. And they're a five five seed. (laughs) And
2: UConn was a team who, of course, started out so well, and then they hit the skids. But they seem like they figured some things out. Um, uh, you know, and I, I don't know that that's a tough draw. i I hate that we're agreeing. I would probably lean Kansas and Gonzaga, but if you tell me Kansas gets bounced by Arkansas or Illinois, uh that could happen they could get bounced by St. Mary's or Yukon. even Iona with uh, Rick Patino is like a scary thirteen seed, I think. um yeah, that that's by far to me the the toughest bracket to pick.
1: No question. okay. I'm clearing out here. Are you picking? your favorite team to win the national championship? No. Oh, I thought you were going to do it. Kirk Creesa. you want to just hit your wagon to Kirk Creesa right, right, right here on the podcast.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I love the draw for, for Arizona, um, Alabama. I mean, I, I think going in before the brackets came out, I was probably leaning Alabama to win it all. And then I think their, their region is pretty friendly for them. Um, You know, if if Arizona and Alabama meet, it just it would be an incredible track meet. Arizona loves to push tempo. Alabama has the supreme athletes. I think it would be a great game. Uh, And it it pains me to say, objectively, I'm going to take Alabama over Arizona.
1: Yeah, I I mean, the way I've talked about Alabama really all year is that if Alabama plays its best. They would beat anybody in the country. The Problem is, Alabama plays a style that if they miss shots, they can lose to almost anyone. Not like they have, and it, it, by the way, I, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not, um, detracting from the style because I like the way they play. They play very fast, take a lot of threes. It's a very NBA friendly style, but they lost to Oklahoma by 24 points in January, and that's the kind of example of a game that like they just. Their their floor is quite low for a team as good as they are, they, and when you got to win six, six games in two weeks, um, if they don't have a good chewy night, they can lose. Um, I think if they have the best, they have the best team though. So, no 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 uh, arguments there. I refuse to pick them because I refuse to pick the number one overall seed basically. Um, but they're uh, no one should be surprised if Alabama wins the championship because they're uh, hmm. they're quite good. Uh, are, I you think taking,
2: I was, are you taking them for the final four at least?
1: Yeah, I think I think you probably have to no disrespect yeah. to your Arizona Wildcats of course but um I I was looking for maybe a chance to pick someone over Alabama just to be contrarian and I don't I don't think I have it in that region so yeah a take, I'll take what,
2: off. West Virginia as the nine seed I think is a little scary just because of the way they play and they're very battle tested in the big 12 um you know very physical team but I don't know yeah I, I think I think, um, and we talked about Virginia or San Diego State just with the style they play, but yeah, I, I think Alabama is going to be tough to knock out.
1: They are no question about that. Um, okay, let's move on to the East again. Uh, this is the one where I have no idea what to do. I think you picked chalk, right? Purdue and Marquette. Yeah, um, I took
2: Purdue and Marquette. I don't, I don't love it. I might go crazy on this one and do like a, you know, the 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 seven playing the eight or something insane, but we'll
1: see i'm gonna have something stupid i think and uh honestly i'm taking duke there you go
2: yeah yeah i mean they're playing well they've won was it nine in a row um i think i'm taking marquette every time i watch marquette i've been impressed i mean I, i didn't watch all their games but i like shaka smart i think he's done a tremendous job after the the texas thing didn't work out i think i'm gonna go marquette that was kind of my first instinct again i don't i don't love purdue sorry to any Purdue listeners on this pod, but I just worry about dual freshman guards in March terrifies me. um But yeah, I, I do. I think again, I hate that we're consensus, but I do think this is the region that's going to get weird if a region is going to get
1: really weird. I don't think there are a ton of Purdue fans listening to the podcast. There could be some for sure, but I don't think they're going to come for you in in large numbers from yeah. this episode. Better
2: back me up as our resident Michigan guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. that was excellent. I, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Um in the Midwest, I I have to take Houston. I if, if if they don't have Sasser like for the season, and I can't I know this is not fair to do, if for some reason Sasser is announced as being out for the year, let's say between now and Thursday, I'll I'll have Texas. But if Sasser is not ruled out for the year, I'll take Houston.
2: Yeah. I think um boy. I think I'm leaning towards Texas. I mean, I always hesitate a little bit to take too much away from conference tournaments. Um, and Texas was not good on the road this year. I think I'm looking at their record now. They went one, two, three. They went one and five in their last six road games, even in the Big 12, which is very good. You know, that scares me a little bit. But on neutral floors, they were very good um you know they, they've they beaten Kansas they beat Gonzaga though it was back in the middle of November um so they, again they, they've been battle tested as much as anyone as have all these big 12 teams I think you know I think I would lean Texas but Houston is a really really tough out
1: yeah they're very good and then the the west um you know loaded again I will just say I, I'm gonna take Gonzaga because I'm stupid
2: so. Brad, we got to stop, man, because I was just about to say, I think I'm going to go contrarian and take Gonzaga. But, um, but I also think Gonzaga could lose pretty handily to like TCU in this. Oh, segment.
1: yeah. Honestly, I, I, just because I don't, I don't want to take Kansas, yeah. not for any reason. I think they're going to be big, obviously, they could, they, they could win it. I would, if I could just have my choice of the winner of TCU Gonzaga, I would just do that because I, I love TCU as well. So,
2: yeah. No, they're, they're a really good team. Um, Man, I mean, I'm almost looking at, like, UConn to win this region, too. No, that's the
1: thing about this region. Literally, I'm not kidding you. I think any of – and I'm not just saying this. I think any of the top – that's not true. Northwestern can't do it. My apologies Northwestern. They're they're not doing it. Seven (laughs) of the top eight seeds could win win the West, and I wouldn't be surprised.
2: I agree. Because Arkansas was super highly rated at the start of the year. Arkansas is really
1: good. St. Mary's, I think, is – weird and they play slow and they're talented and they're old and like they could win yeah um, UConn's loaded TCU when they're healthy have been awesome this year yeah yeah I mean it's it's up and down and UCLA like as much as I don't like them, as much about Jalen Clark they have a bunch of dudes like Hami Haquez, Tyre Campbell like they they have Amari Bailey now like yeah. they're still good they're not as good without Jalen Clark but they're still good yeah,
2: no, I agree. I mean, you, yes, UCLA could totally. I don't think UCLA has national championship upside without Jalen Clark, but uh, yeah, they they could totally make the Final Four. Uh, they they just play, again, similarly to, I mean, they slow it down. They're 230th in tempo when they have a lead. I mean, they can just salt away a lead. They're really, and Mick Cronin's a really good coach too. You know, they, they have a system in place and they don't really deviate from it um yeah that that region man that that's a great draw for the you know for fans like and and media members like yourself covering in in vegas for the first time um no matter it's crazy to say but no matter who makes the sweet 16 all of those teams are like guaranteed to be really really good um whereas some of the you know some of the other regions like ah they're okay or ah they have injury problems um the west is just crazy
1: yeah i mean not to go even further down this rabbit hole but even the next tier down, like Illinois has high ceiling. They're the nine seed. They're maddening, but when they play well, they're really good. VCU is a 12 seed. VCU is awesome. They won the A 10 regular season championship and the tournament championship. They're very good. <laughs> like they have uh, even great, like, okay, grand Canyon, which is uh, from your, from your neck of the woods out there in yeah. Arizona. They're good. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. the 14th seed. That so was- uh, anyway, the West is going to be fun. Um, all right. Who's, who's, who's national champion? Who's national champion? Scott.
2: Oh boy. Um, so I have Alabama and Marquette, at least in this bracket that I have spent all the 15 minutes looking at, but we're talking, um, we're talk,
1: we're talking for it. It's fine.
2: Yeah. I think I'm going to go Alabama. Um, and I think, is it Texas or who did I pick? UConn Gonzaga? Did I even pick a team? I don't know. Who knows? Um, Oh boy. I think I might actually be going with Texas no matter who comes out of the West. It's just kind of a hedge because I'm just not going to be confident on who I pick there. Um, What the hell? So I'll say Alabama, Texas in the national championship. Uh, What say you, Brad?
1: Uh, um, Houston and yeah, Houston and Alabama, I think. I really hate this. I, I really want to take Houston and the winner of the West. And, and you can't do that, Scott. I'm not sure if you know the bracket works. They're on the same side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's not going to work. Um, it does
2: feel like the, we'll say the right side of the bracket, the, the Midwest and <laughs> the West is much stronger across the board than the the left side with with the South and the East.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I we talked about earlier about Alabama. I didn't want to take Alabama. But if you look at the bracket on that side, I, I don't know if I can take anybody to beat them. Now, they could lose, certainly. But I, I don't think I, I can look at a matchup and be like, okay, that team's going to be Alabama, and I'm going to pick it. Uh, I can't do it. So, Alabama against, I guess, Houston. And you know what?
2: You talk about two completely different styles. Yeah, it would be Alabama awesome. And Houston. Like,
1: yeah. it, it also, uh, this is not a huge, huge deal because the Final Four is very corporate. The Final Four is in Houston. Oh, wow. Uh, which probably helps Houston. Now, granted, they don't have the army of fans no. that it would no. like change the world. Like, if, if the Final Four was in, I don't know, if the Final Four was in Phoenix and Arizona was playing, right? Like, it would be the whole uh, city would transport. A big you. deal. Uh, yeah. or, or if the Final Four was in Kansas City and Kansas was playing, yeah. that would change the world. Um, Houston, all due respect, doesn't have that kind of fan base, I don't think, but they would certainly have home court advantage to some degree in Houston, you have to think. Um, so that's something just to keep an eye on. If they, if they get there, that's a small bump. Also, Jim Nance, Houston alum, calling his last Final Four. Can you imagine Jim Nance calling a Houston oh. national championship game as an alum of Houston in his final college basketball game? That'd oh, be pretty great.
2: I didn't realize he was he was retiring after this.
1: He's uh, he's, he's retiring from college basketball. He's still uh, doing golf and things and football, but he's. Uh, Iron Eagle is is the new voice of nice, nice uh, the tournament after this year. Anyway. Give me Houston. I hope Marcus Baxter can, can walk by tomorrow. Um, all right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. it for me.
2: I think, uh, um, yeah, no, I'm going back. I think I'd take Alabama. It's not a contrarian pick. I would guess that either them or maybe Kansas are going to be the.
1: Well, Scott, those are the top two overall seeds in the the bracket. So not a contrarian pick would be safe. Yes, that's correct. I
2: know it's Um, boring. I mean, it's funny. You want to have both like a fun bracket where there's upsets. But then, I mean, chasing upsets is, is a dangerous game if you're trying to like win money at the end of it. Right. Like picking the 14 to beat the three is mathematically not. Sound, but hey, if you if you hit it, then you look like a genius and you get bragging rights for a couple of weeks. So it's, you know, it's that balance.
1: There you have it. All right, Scott, that's it for us on this podcast. Please, before we get out of here, and if you're listening to this podcast still, thank you very much for your patronage of the show. But, uh, Scott, if by some miracle someone's at the end of the show and wants to follow you other places beyond this, where can, where can they possibly do that?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, thanks, everybody. Uh, Scott Coleman55 on Twitter sure to follow the site at battery power SBN. Um, yeah, every day we have not only Braves coverage, we also have some, uh, we're previewing every single team, all 29 teams around the league. Um, so that's been a fun exercise. I've had a handful of those to write up. So if you're, if you're wanting to get caught up, maybe you were very focused on college football, college basketball, NFL, you want to get caught up on the off season. That's, that's a great resource. And yeah, Brad only, I guess, two and a half more weeks and we'll be talking about real baseball games.
1: We are almost there. Uh, like Scott said, follow the show on Twitter at Battery Power SBM. Please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, uh, Stitcher, Google Play—all those places we, we, sh- we should be there. If we're not there. You can certainly tell us, and we'll do our best to get that rectified in the future. Five stars, nice comments, always appreciated as well. If you want to you can follow me on Twitter at BT Roland, we'll have more in the near future, including not just us but Sean and. Steven and Chris, etc. So subscribe. You'll have all that content in one place for for the price of $0. I do appreciate everybody listening to the show. See you all next time.